Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth of PaleoParents.com. You might also know me as the broth lady or the inventor of the hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian. I'm the co-author of several paleo cookbooks, including Eat Like a Dinosaur, Beyond Bacon, Real Life Paleo. I like to talk about health at any size and self-love and personal acceptance. Specifically, I have a love for lifting heavy things. If you're interested in finding more out about that, you can also find me on Strong Woman Radio. And I'm Dr. Sarah Valentine of thepaleomom.com. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook. I'm passionate about nutrient density and the intersection of diet and lifestyle with health, which really means I just love talking about science. News and Views, where Sarah and I catch up and you get to listen to our gossip. Welcome to the Paleo View, where evidently Sarah listened to our show for the first time. I did. I So, <laughs> I, first of all, totally dared Matt to do something unusual during our recording and didn't think he would have the time because we recorded on the late side. So, I knew that, you know, it was going to be, like, pushing it for him to just get the show, like, normally edited, not extra, finding new sound effects and whatever. But um, so I, because I never listened to the show, Stacey, you never listened to the show either, right? Do you ever listen to it? If I admit to that, then I'm a bad person. But no, I haven't listened to it So, okay. Nobody out there likes listening to their own voicemail messages, right? It's the same thing, but an hour. Okay. Like that's, everybody gets it now. Like listening to yourself, it, it's, it's not, it's weird. So not to mention then I have to think about what I said and then think about what I could have said. And it's it just – anyways, back to the point. I shared on social media about the podcast as I usually do. And then the comments as I was reading them were all referencing Mr. Wizard. And one person said, I'm laughing so hard Mr. right Wizard. now. That's it totally was totally who yes. I was thinking of. Yes, yes, yes. And well, so Matt interjected into our podcast to tell us it was Mr. Wizard and then put in some amazing sound effects last week. If you haven't listened to, it was epic. Um, but so, so people are like, I'm laughing so hard right now. Cause you always say how you never listen to your own podcast and you guys really need to listen to this one. So I went and I listened and this was the fun part because I totally got sucked into the podcast. It was like, because apparently I don't remember anything I do anymore because <laughs> I'm doing so much. It was so fresh because I had sort of forgotten what we'd talked about. And it was a really good show. Like I think we touched on some really great like philosophical points about the paleo movement and then some really great practical how-to. Like, I thought we did a good job. So I'm just patting on the back, us both simultaneously across the interwebs. Virtual um, high five. So, but yeah. So Matt, feel free because that was pretty awesome. Feel free to interject at will while you edit, I feel like you should get carte blanche to do that whenever because it was pretty awesome. I I like my husband. I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> so someone just heard another giggle, right? We have to introduce who we've got we, on the show. So we, I actually have physically with me this week, Josh from slimpalette.com, who have you ever been on the podcast before? Uh, I have not. 
Okay, so it's your first time on the Paleo View. That's yes. super exciting. How have you never been on our I, show? I didn't realize that either. <laughs> you, were you part of a... We've been of friends a, for like three years. Yeah. <laughs> You've been part of a, like a Paleo FX group recording? I don't think so, nope. because he usually stays at a different place, right? Yeah, last time I stayed at a different uh, hotel than everybody else. Yeah. Or because they, you know, they have two. They always have one that gets like super duper booked. And yeah, so that the close one and then the not close one. Correct. Right. So I always get the short end of the stick there. Yeah. Well, you're here now. Yes. So um, for those who don't know, Josh is currently 19 years old and we kind of first got introduced to Josh when he was 16 before he'd written his first book, um, which is just Slim Palette is the name of your book Palette. and your blog, right? Yeah. Okay. I just got like a major brain for there. I'm like, is yeah. there something more to the title of the yeah. book? No, it's just the book that, is right? Well, the book is technically Slim Palette, but it's like the Slim Palette Paleo Cookbook. And yeah, I wanted to just name it Slim Palette. And then Arish was kind of like, that's not enough. You yes, need- we, we all know all too well Arish's love of putting the word paleo on every yeah. cookbook cover. Okay, hey, <laughs> hey, so hang on, hang on, just because I'm going to defend Arish right now since I'm <laughs> working with him so frequently, I feel like we're best friends again. I have permission to make my fourth book, which will be coming out sometime in 2016, a non-paleo book. Look at that. It only takes to the fourth Ooh. book. Right. <laughs> Actually, Eat Like a Dinosaur doesn't have paleo in the title, and I fought pretty hard for that. Because, you know, kids don't, shouldn't, I don't like the word should. Labels aren't appropriate for children's dietary lifestyles, in my opinion. Nevertheless, Slim Palette, the name of your blog and your yes. book. Um, before all that happened, I had learned about Josh's um, amazing health transformation uh, when he was still a teen and had asked him if he would share his story on our blog, and it has just snowballed for you since. And Josh is in town this weekend because um, he was part of the Take Back Your Health conference, Sarah, which you and I spoke at last year. Um, and part of that conference was the debut of a documentary that Josh is in called Revolution Food Movie. And um, so I thought while he was in town hanging out, eating food, he could join us. And in particular, I thought that we could talk about one of his most recent posts on his blog, which is not actually about food, but more um, the lifestyle that is associated with food and diet and all of the emotions and things that go along with it that um, you and I so frequently talk about on the show. So that is what he's here for. But Josh is a multifaceted young man. (laughs) He um, has since graduated high school and traveled through Europe and, you know, is working with the film crew on this movie and um, all that kind of stuff. So welcome to the show, Josh. Of course. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You'd be so proud of me, Sarah. I'm actually kind of making eye contact a little bit. I So I was going to say, Josh, I just want to <laughs> warn you that Stacy gets really, really uncomfortable when you make eye contact with her. Oh, as well, a, I mean, uh, as a general a rule, but especially. I made a mistake. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I always make eye contact with people. Should I, should I, what did I do? Should I just look at the microphone? So, yep, just pretend that there's a wall between us. Okay. I just won't even, so, I'll just look at your hair. I find it really, really enjoyable to make Stacy yeah, unusually uncomfortable, intentionally makes me uncomfortable because you can hear the blush in her voice. <laughs> you can hear it right now. And it's Super amazing. Awesome. So I feel like on behalf of our audience who also enjoys Stacy being uncomfortable, I would like to give you carte blanche to make eye contact with her. I accept that. 
Done. He also has to stay in my house tonight uh, and tomorrow morning. So, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> this, who who do you really want not, to choose in not the battle here? Yeah, I want to come out of this one alive, so maybe I'll just <laughs> not, not it's do okay. that It's okay. Matt myself. does all the cooking. Yeah, but but she'll kill me. <laughs> he's been um, spending a lot of time with Cole this weekend, and Cole is, like, at this age where he's learning about... Um, how to burn people? Like, do you what, do you know what that means? Like, there? Bur- bur- like burn, bur- like. Um, this sounds really weird like, already. Like teasing, get somebody with some kind of comment, or like grabbing like a candle. Like, what kind of <laughs> the former? That's one way. Um, so his his intention, and he's like learning how to do it, right? Like he's at that age where he's like learning the appropriate and inappropriate go ways. Like, Oh, snap. Exactly. There's, oh, a yeah. whole, there's a whole lot of oh, snap happening with... Um, so, oh, you got burned. Yeah, he's he really takes enjoyment. It scared <laughs> me. It scared me, though, because it was like we were in the car and we were driving by... What what, what was the building we were driving by? It was like uh, the one that... the I can't remember. Oh, the Capitol building? The Capitol building. And he we were talking about uh, how we... Sh- he, uh, he said, what do we do? Or I was like, what do we do with all the people that eat wheat? And then he's like... Well, we, well, he was saying he we should enact a law to, oh, to ban right. wheat. Yeah, and then I was like, well, then what do we do with them What if they do eat wheat? And he's like, we burn them. <laughs> and then just, like, gave me this, like, cold stare. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. So he's, he's, like, testing out. And he realized that one was, like, too far. But at that point, he'd gone with it. So he was like, he's going to roll with that one <laughs> a little bit. He rolled with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The joke was because his name is Cole and Cole Burns, and that's what he was implying, but uh, it didn't come across that way. Yeah, uh, Josh took it as, like, um, there's going to be a witch hunt for people who eat wheat, and we're going to literally burn them at the stake. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he got you, is what you're saying. I suppose, yeah. (laughs) I suppose. It was disturbing, but, yeah, I mean... (laughs) It was disturbing. I mean, there were several other burns this weekend where it's just, it's like out of nowhere. You'll think he's like half asleep in the backseat of the car. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you're like, oh, snap. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's pretty quick. He's he's sharp. Honestly, he really is. He's very quick. And he's like super cold about it, too. He's just like blank face, super serious. It's hard to do that. Like, I can't even do yeah, that. He's, and, we call him Mr. Serious. He is um, quite the poker face yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, we had a, there was a. After the conference last night and the screening of the film, we had dinner with the um, filmmakers of the Revolution Food movie, and that was really interesting. They basically spent the first five minutes just kind of having chit-chat and then realized that Cole was the most interesting child in paleo, as Josh said, (laughs) and um, became enamored with asking him a million questions about the different kind of vegetables that he knows and... um, when he goes to farm camp in the summertime, what's that all about? And, you know, does he go to farmer's markets? And it was like this end, endless, like, amazement from these filmmakers who don't have children or one of them just had a baby, like, who have created this film with the intention of bringing, like, joy and positiveness to the real food movement and spreading that word in a way that will like influence the next generation and it's like in the film about how they really hope to reach um you know young school age children with the movie in the hopes that children will understand that food comes from soil and not from a store 
And so they were basically like living their dream and talking to him and like seeing that a child that is influenced by that stuff will actually grow up that way. So Cole walked away from dinner, like with a, with a skip in his step and probably (laughs) probably a quarter of an inch taller, which is quite interesting. I mean, to be fair, he was the way it was really like the way that he was, uh, answering it because it wasn't just like he was answering a direct question. He had formed an opinion and like actually evaluated what was happening. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was much more conscious rather than just act, you know, just answering a direct question. That's, I think that's what they really liked about it, that he just knew so much about food in general as so young. And he's like so small, you know, like (laughs) he's just like this little tiny person, but has a mental capacity so much more. Anyway, sounds like a lot of fun. I would suggest that people check out the movie if they haven't. It's, um, in the vein of, you know, um, what was the food Inc kind of, but in a, uh, 180 spin to show kind of the positive side and incredible cinematography and fantastic interviews with some of the farmers that people will know already, like Joel Salatin as being, you know, super charismatic and intelligent on topics that are, um, really important to our movement. But then there were also some really incredible interviews with people I was unfamiliar with that I really enjoyed. I don't know the, the seed lady in India and the oh, fisherman. Oh, Bandana Shiva. Yeah. And the fisherman in Norway. And I don't remember his name. He's a little bit, uh, he was hard for me to understand, but I couldn't remember what he was saying. Yeah. It was the cinematography from Norway was just amazing. Yeah. And then, um, Boats and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then there was, um, the produce farmer who is evidently famous, but I don't know, who he was. And he's basically, if Joel is to the real foods movement from a, um, livestock perspective, this man was the equivalent to the produce perspective. And so he has the same information available, um, to teach others and to provide in, you know, resources for how to optimize kind of a a, a produce farm so that you're you know, utilizing less water and maximizing the soil and all that kind of stuff. And that was something, I mean, I was tangentially like, yeah, I mean, people do that. I go to make your own farms and I know that, you know, they're irrigating and stuff like that. But it hadn't occurred to me that there's a method to that the same way that there's a method from like a lifestyle, I mean, a livestock perspective, the way Joel does it. And he teaches people how to cycle through different crops and that kind of stuff in order to maximize the soil. And um, so there was like different unique new concepts in this film that I thought were, were really great. And, um, the message of positivity definitely shined through and beautiful. I mean, even just to look at, like there was, if it was on mute, I would have enjoyed the movie just because it was really beautiful farm shots. Evidently they used a drone. I couldn't figure out yeah. like how they were getting yeah, a lot they, of the shots and, and they were using a drone to film it. Isn't that cool? Actually, they actually shot that whole movie with a 5d. Wow. So, I mean, he, he, if he had a, if he had a 4k camera or, or, you know, yeah, $40,000 camera would be, I mean, he could just, yeah. Anyway, the point is cinematography is amazing. Yeah. I, uh, apparently need to go see this movie. <laughs> it is, it is available online and they are doing some, some screenings. Not until the 12th of October. Okay. Well. Uh, or 13th or so 12th or something like that. Not, not far from when the podcast airs. Right. Uh, but, people can check it out, but it's, um, we'll put a link in the show notes, but it's revolutionfoodmovie.com and Josh is interviewed in it as well as, um, the people that I mentioned and a, a whole bunch of other farmers. Primal Pastures is in it, Sarah. So it's interesting. Very interesting film. 
But that's what Josh is in town for. So now I have to make eye contact with him here in the basement. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Every time she makes eye contact with me, with me now, I look away because I'm a, I'm worried. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, so so um, epic. It's gotten better because I I podcast with Viv on um, the weekends in in person. Um, but when I first started, like I couldn't, I literally. I'm so could not aware make of making contact. eye contact with you no. now. It's just a problem. It's weird, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm just gonna look at this Logitech headset. So. Um, <laughs> What, uh, what you, um, you and I talked about before the show, um, is that Josh recently, uh, published a post that I personally found really moving and I actually shared it in social media and a couple days later he realized that I had shared it in social media. Um, and I just think it's part of a larger conversation that, you know, I've been, I've been having in the community for a really long time and the, the concept of disordered eating and body dysmorphia and how, you know, we are engineering our brains and society to, to think in kind of absolute thoughts rather than, you know, going towards this notion that Sarah, you and I are really supportive of, of focusing on health and nutrient density and, you know, uh, optimizing your health might look really different for one person than another. So, um, I thought it would be really interesting to talk with Josh about that experience, especially having lost so much weight so young and then kind of figuring out, I can't imagine like, you know, when I, when I was 16, I was bulimic and then I never really fully got my mind straight before I went off to college, put on a ton of weight, like not just a freshman 40, but like a freshman hundred ended up, you know, meeting Matt and, um, not really losing weight until years later when I lost 20 pounds by just like joining a gym, then got pregnant with Cole and the, the whole cycle of, you know, yo-yo dieting and Weight Watchers while I was pregnant, gaining weight, then going on Weight Watchers well, as soon as I would give birth and yeah. then losing a bunch of weight. And then as soon as I would stop counting calories, I'd rebound and yeah. lose, I'd gain all that weight back plus more weight, you know? Yeah. So, um, I remember Weight Watchers. I tried that too. It's, it's <laughs> the worst, the worst thing. It's like, it hurts you tasting those, those flavors and yeah. Not, and then also feeling hungry afterwards. Yeah. I call, I call it a starvation diet because the mechanism by which they have you lose weight is to literally starve your body. And so the minute that your body doesn't feel starved anymore, it's like, we've got to put on all the weight because we're afraid that we're going to go hungry again. Hold on. Hold <laughs> on. Um, so anyway, my, my point is that it took, it took me until you know, just a couple of years ago before I started really feeling comfortable in my skin. And I'm in my thirties by that point, you know, so I can't imagine kind of going through that journey in a public way, like you did losing the weight and then kind of finding, you know, where you were comfortable in your own skin. And, you know, um, so I think talk, talking about that journey and also, you know, what you found to kind of help you get a healthy mindset would be good for, for our listeners. And, um, I think it's good for perspective to realize that, Josh is 19. So for a lot of, um, people who listen, who have older children, um, or who are young themselves, this kind of perspective is something that I certainly can't offer, um, as much as I can try. I'm just, I'm not going to be 19 again. (laughs) It's not going to happen. Right. Well, uh, I guess in case anybody doesn't know my, uh, original story. So I sort of like, once I've done explaining this, it's a pretty apparent that I sort of like, put my body through a ringer, but, um, first, uh, I lost over a hundred pounds, uh, at age 16. I sort of had, sort of had 
hit the over 100 pound mark, which was when I started my blog and then you discovered me, you loved my story and you, she basically started like my whole foundation of my blog because I started it thinking that what any, nothing was going to happen. And when she posted about me and then I think I contacted you or I emailed you and then she posted about me and then I was like, Oh wow, I can actually get a reaction and I, people actually like my story. This is great. Um, so after all that happened, I had published my book, um, even and even after I published my book at uh, seventeen, at that point um, I was just like, I have OCD for one. This is for this is for a different post, and I haven't started this one yet, and I want to share it, but it's sort of like still withheld. But to keep it simple, I have OCD, so I very quickly and easily got obsessed with um, with diet in general, or not necessarily diet, but body image in yeah. general. So like being nineteen, I know like. Everybody my age has some sort of body issue. And to be honest, every single person in the world probably has some mild form of body dysmorphia, but it comes to a point where it's just like too much and it really becomes a problem like it was for me. So for me, it was like, and I think people forget that guys also yeah. deal yeah. with this kind of stuff. Not not to, to shift the, the, the angle of, of where this is coming from, but I'm just saying guys also yeah, deal no, with I this kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I think that's a great stuff. point. And like seeing like all the men's fitness magazines like i would just look at it and just be filled with this extreme anxiety like oh my god i don't look like this guy why don't i look like this guy i've been doing this for at that point it had been like uh almost two years i've been doing this for two years i should look like exactly like this guy first off i was 17 not even probably not even matured enough to even have the right amount of testosterone to look like that in the first place but that didn't matter and so i was like, well, I don't look like this, so obviously, you know, it's no, no problem. I'll just low carb it. I've read plenty of online articles. I'll preserve muscle mass and blah, blah, blah. I'll just lose fat. I'll just eat low carb because that's what all the article says, and the internet said so, so I'm going to do it. And the internet is always right, of course. So, <laughs> Yeah, right, that's what I thought. Totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so here they are listening to us on the internet, but <laughs> this is at least... <laughs> at least we're giving them the caveat that they should <laughs> do some more investigation on the internet. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, uh, so, I mean, like, I, I took the, uh, I took what I knew, nutrition-wise, and I knew a lot. I thought I would do a lot. And uh, I became really underweight. I'm about six foot maybe like close to six foot one. And by the time I had published my book, uh, I was 130 pounds. Yeah. I, I never told you this, but when I hugged you the first time I met you in the hotel at paleo effects, I remember thinking you had gone too far. Like I was worried about you and I was like, uh, I mean, I'm not your parent, you yeah. know, like, but I'm, you know, like it's part of the reason that I was like so proud and excited that you'd kind of like found a different way to feel yeah. comfortable in your own skin and right, why I right. think it's but I will say like it wasn't just your own perspective that that you were too thin I think you know from from my perspective I remember hugging you and you know how you just kind of like hug people and you either like you yeah, know you can muscle. you can feel if they have muscle or you can feel if they I mean like when you hug a grandma it's different than when you hug a crossfit athlete versus right. you know someone and and I remember hugging you and just like, it's like ex- holding an old man right like expecting that there to be more and it just kind of was like oh like where's where, where's Josh <laughs> you're, you have like cuts on your arms from like the sharp bones it wasn't, yeah. I mean yeah it wasn't yeah, that it bad, wasn't that bad yeah. I wasn't like I wasn't emaciated you know or anything like that I was just way leaner than I should have been way underweight. Uh, I wasn't, you know, like, it's not like I could see my ribs or anything, 
so I wasn't, I didn't let it get to that point, luckily, but uh, I was really underweight. You know, 130 pounds at six foot is just, that's just not enough at all. It's not a healthy weight. But the thing was, I felt, you know, fantastic. I was eating low carb and I was eating uh, all local stuff and I was eating good food just like I had promised myself, just like I was telling everybody, you know, eat real food and blah, 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 blah. And uh, so, the fact that I felt good was the indicator to me, like, well, okay, maybe this is okay. And and the thing is, and this is what blew my mind, is I hadn't looked at my uh, cookbook video in a year, like, solid year, because why would I go back and look at it? Yeah. I'm doing other stuff. It's like a full year. I never looked at it again uh, after it came out. And when I was writing the post for my weight gain, I went and looked at the video, and I, like like my heart started pounding and I was shaking because I was like, Oh my God. Like people saw me, like people saw me look like that. I don't remember looking like that. I didn't recognize, I like when I first saw myself on there, I was like, Oh, I don't remember there being someone else in that. And I was like, Oh, that's me. Wow. And that like messed me up pretty bad. Like I was, I didn't recognize the person. And the thing is, this is where body dysmorphia is sort of like messes with your head. And that is that I don't remember looking in the mirror and seeing that person, you know, when I looked in the mirror, I saw, like, someone who had stubborn fat that needed to be lost, and I saw someone who, you know, didn't have a, a rippling six-pack. I mean, I had a six-pack, but it just wasn't enough. And so I think that, that part of the reason was because I just didn't have enough muscle to, to get that stubborn fat lost in the first place. But the point is, I had stubborn fat, and that, to me, was an indicator, like, well, obviously, I'm not going to get too lean. And I don't remember my arms being that small, you know? And looking at my arms now and back then, every once in a while I'll be like, oh, my, I feel like my arms haven't changed at all. And then I look back at that picture, I'm like, okay, maybe maybe I should take a step back. But, um, so yeah, I mean, it just, that, that's the thing about body dysmorphia is I didn't even know that I had it until my, uh, my uh, trainer and owner of my gym mentioned it. And I went to him about gaining weight because I said I wanted to get bigger. I just wanted just to have more muscle on me uh, to fill in the leanness that, I had acquired and uh that's when he sort of like gave me the info on like okay well this is what you need to eat you need to eat a lot of food and da-da-da. I'm like I'm eating I'm eating a lot of food just give me the program I'm eating plenty of food and I was I was eating a lot of food you know I ate like a half chicken and like plenty of vegetables so that's a lot of food but it's not enough for a young body with a fast metabolism like mine leafy green vegetables and fatty protein sources is not enough it's not you need you need carbs or at least i did maybe not everybody but i did and you're also working out i think it's important too like right. you were you're lifting and you're working out right. and and i was only lifting for the record only 3 days a week for like 30 minutes to an hour now i lift even more but i eat more calories and that's what made the difference but uh but yeah so he told me uh what I needed to eat. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. But I, I was so afraid of putting on a single gram of fat that I was like doing it in an intermittent fasting style. So, uh, and, and, and carb recycling and refeeding and stuff like that and loading carbs. So basically like, I was like, well, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid ga- gaining fat, which really in the beginning, the first few weeks, I saw barely any progress because the intermittent fasting just wasn't, uh, doing a whole lot for me. I need, I didn't have enough glucose in my system when I was working out in order to to hit the heavy weight that he wanted me to or that he had advised that I try. So I eventually stopped, but that again I was still so obsessed with with getting fat, getting fat. And then eventually this is exactly what happened when I was when I was uh losing weight is I just like just something shifted in my mind immediately and I just like, okay, I'm done. I'm going cold turkey. I don't care anymore. And I just did it and uh 
that's just how I work. I know some people might have to work into it slowly, but for me, it's just like everyone's, I just get to a point where I just, I snap and I'm done and I'm just going to do it. I don't care what happens. And I went for it and I ate like, in the beginning, I ate like 6,000, 7,000 calories a day. And I was uh, lifting, I think three, only three times a week at first, but it was like a linear progression program and it was uh, progressive overload. And what were you, how many calories were you eating before you started to gain? Honestly, I have no idea, but if I had to guess, maybe like 2,400 or 2,500 or close to uh, 3,000, I was like, that's that's a lot of calories. Nobody <laughs> eats that many calories. That's like a buffet calories. And uh, yeah, I had no I had no idea. And I even, um, in order to get all the calories in, I was, uh, I was doing raw milk. Uh, I was doing the go mad method with raw milk. So I was doing like a gallon of milk a, a day on oh top goodness. of on top of my huge meals. So it's like a di- like an example dinner was like half of a chicken with like maybe five, six cups of steamed rice and like two or three cups of like broccoli, like fried broccoli or like a sauteed broccoli and uh, my half chicken. And yeah, that was like just dinner. That was just dinner. And then I had like two or three glasses of whole, you know, raw milk on top of that just for dinner. And that doesn't <laughs> include my snacks and my lunch and my breakfast and the snack in between those two. So it was an extreme mental challenge, but, uh, it, it, that's what sort of shifted the dysmorphic mind into a, something that was more like, okay, well, instead of like just eating for body, like now I'm actually, that's when, that's when everything shifted to like, I'm actually eating to nourish my body at this point. You know what I mean? Like I am asking my body so much right now. I'm asking my body to recruit new muscle fibers for one, which is a ridiculous request and I have to give it what it needs. Right. So I, that that was a new concept to me was like sort of respecting that and then understanding that it was more about nourishing my body to grow rather than, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the whole idea behind like body fat percentage and stuff like that, the obsessiveness of that just disappeared, you know, cause I, it, it just wasn't relevant anymore. I, you know, I was afraid to like, I didn't even, I went, you know, t- people talk about doing the, the 21 day sugar detox. Okay. I did like a hardcore version of 21 day sugar detox for two years. Yeah. I, we were talking about it in the car earlier, Sarah. I don't know if you remember, but when we went to lick for the first time when we met Josh, he said that that was the first time that he ate a sweet in two years. And we all kind of were like, it's time. <laughs> it's time. And yes. Um, not that years. we encourage people to like, you know, eat a ton of desserts or, or eat things that derail them from their health, but presumably you had a birthday sometime right. in those two years. Right. Yeah. Uh, my mom jokingly actually, no joke, actually got a uh, portobello mushroom and put a candle in it because I, I refused to have any sort of dessert. Wow. So yeah. See, and it's not like to your point earlier too, you were healthy. You had indicators yeah. of health. So it's not like you had to give up sugar for some sort of like health ailment or something that, you know, may preclude someone from eating sweets for a long time. But it it was, it was this idea of needing to restrict certain foods from that kind of obsessive compulsive state of if I, if I eat these foods, then something bad will happen. Yeah. Which which is exactly what OCD is, how it works. But But actually the thing is, even if people don't have OCD, and I see this a lot in the paleo community, yeah, because the way that the articles and uh, so I, I don't want to name any website names because I like a lot of websites that I still read, but yeah. there's a lot of articles out there and the way that they're expressed, it sounds like if you eat sugar, you are going to become overweight, like in a heartbeat. If you eat one slice of cake with any 
drop a single tablespoon of sugar in it, say goodbye. You have cancer and you're 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 diabetic. Goodbye. Done. The end. It's like that's that's what the mindset was, and it creates sort of an all or nothing thing. And that's that's kind of how you when you read it, that's the interpretation. That was the interpretation, yeah. Because the way that it comes across, they don't say anything like oh, but in moderation. They just talk about all of the negatives. And for me, it created a very all or nothing thinking, and that's what shaped the body dysmorphia because it's like. Well, you know, I'm either eating sugar or I'm not eating sugar. And if I'm eating sugar, I'm getting fat. And if I'm not eating sugar, I'm losing fat. Yeah. Right. So that was, that was the general thought. So once I had given up on that and I started the weight gaining phase after about a year and that, uh, there were, uh, three different three week programs or, uh, sorry, three different 12 week programs. And, uh, so each program lasted 12 weeks. The first 12 week program was very vigorous, 6,000 calories a day and uh really really heavy heavy lifting squatting three times a day which you know puts like masses of weight on you like extreme uh not just like physical but like in your hip flexors and places you wouldn't even see it but it's there um because i just needed to add more weight in general and then after that i focused on a bodybuilding style just to build up mass around areas where where it would be not just beneficial but it would just look better and i wasn't disproportionate you know uh, but in between that, I actually took two months off. So I did the linear progression program for 12 weeks. And then I took two months off to go to, to go to Europe after I did the first weight gaining process. And then that sort of almost acted like a, a cut so that I could do the next weight gain. Cause I, depending on how you want to gain weight, you know, like you wouldn't just want to do like, I, you know, a year straight of weight gain. Otherwise you're just sort of like overeating at that point. But for me, it was, uh, I needed the weight. So I, I did, you know. I really needed it, and so I just went for it, and then it ended up being great. You know, I ended up putting on like um, I put on around seventy pounds of ma- muscle mass, just straight, straight muscle mass in a year, and that to be is to be attributed to the fact that you know I'm 19 now. I did it when I was 18, and you know peak te- peak testosterone levels are around this age, so it's very easy for me to put on muscle mass. It's very easy for me to gain strength. So maybe not everybody will put on weight as fast as I do. But the point is, uh, in about a year, I still put on, you know, 70 pounds, which is pretty good amount in comparison to, you know, because I went all out and I just went for it. Yeah. So I guess the, the question that I have, and Sarah, feel free to chime in because you're not like... I think you're about here. to ask the exact same question that <laughs> I'm about to ask. So I'm going to let you go for it. Which is, you know, how do you feel both physically about, you know, your health and also about yourself and your body, right? Like... Do you have that original fear, like, if I put on one gram of weight, like, one pound of weight, then I'm going to be fat. And you said you just, you know, you went yeah. for it and, and you put on 70 pounds. Like, when when you look in the mirror now, how do you feel about yourself? And also, like, how is your health, you know? Right. Okay. So, n- right now, I feel fantastic. I actually feel better than I did uh, before. Like, I, before I thought I felt very comfortable with my appearance, but now I feel like I am where I should be. And I feel comfortable with who I, before I felt like I didn't look like I was supposed to look, you know, and I know that this sounds strange, but I feel like, and and everybody may disagree. And I know this sort of like falls into the category of, it's a slightly superficial, but everybody has this thought. I know they do. You're lying to yourself if you don't. And everybody cares about how they look. And there's a, there's a portion where you do have to accept yourself, right? And that's where the fat gain came in, right? So I did gain fat when I did this too. It's not like I just gained 70 pounds. It's not like I just gained, I I gained a total of like something like 80 pounds, but most of it was muscle. 
but I still gained fat. And it was in the beginning, it was very significant and it was discouraging at first, but I didn't stop. Uh, the first program, I mean, I, the thing is I, I went from zero to a hundred, right? So I just added a bunch of calories and my body like freaked out and put on pretty significant amount of fat in the beginning. You know, like I was just like, Oh, I've got moon face and I'm um, blah, blah, blah. I look so awful. And I just kept pushing. And then the muscles started coming in and filling that out. And then the muscle increased my metabolism. And then I lost that fat. So that sort of kept me going. But, uh, and how I feel now, uh, physically, like health wise, I actually thought that I was at peak then, but now I actually feel like I was supposed to, because before I had good energy and I was alert and I still am, but now it's like, I, f I felt feeble then, you know, I felt weaker. Like I just, uh, didn't have as, as, as much of a spring to my step. And like, I just felt in general, on, on average, on an average day, I just felt literally weighed down, like, by gravity, you know what I mean? Probably because I was so underweight, and I was very weak. Uh, like, my front squat was, like, 65 pounds then, and it was like, that was difficult. And now it's like, you know, I don't even know, it's like 245 now. And I, so I literally added hundreds of pounds to it, and that was only over the year. You know, I could add more if I wanted to at this point, but I felt so much weaker. Uh, and emotionally, actually, like, brain health-wise, I just... I think more clearly, you know what I mean? Before I felt like, uh, I don't know. I felt like there was like a fogginess to my thoughts and like, it was very easy for me to dis be distracted and cut away from things. So if I was trying to think about something and then I thought about something else immediately, whatever I was thinking about before, just like drifted into the void of my mind. <laughs> and now that it's just, everything feels a little more sharper. And I, and I don't know if that's, uh, has anything to do with fat gain. I don't know if that has to do with just being, overall having more weight on me but i felt i feel like there's more of there was more of a uh overall shift not just like a physical shift but like mm -hmm. a mental shift too so sarah before you jump in i just i want to interject that a lot of what you're saying is really powerful and i think it's really awesome the one thing i would encourage you to think about is you use words like the way that you should look or the way that you're supposed to be. And I try to frame because I have those, I have these same struggles, right? right? Like we all do. And I try to frame it for myself, what I want to be or what my goals are. Right. Because yeah. I think there's a huge, like once you're, once I'm able to make that shift in my own mind of like what supposed to be, that means that basically someone is telling me like right, yeah. what it is versus me saying what I want for myself. Right. And there's it, there's also, I feel like part of this language is, part of it is appreciating our bodies where it is now. Yeah. And when we have these big accomplishments, it's really easy to sort of, after the fact, put down where we were, but like we were really down already. We don't need to do that anymore to ourselves, <laughs> right? right? And then right. when we do that, we also make it okay to continue to, it's, it's not so much the, you know, there's one thing about constantly seeking to improve ourselves and that that is amazing but where there's a mental health problem i feel as a person who's battled with you know body dysmorphia and binge eating disorder and you know just general low self esteem for you know i'm old now so some decades <laughs> but but i think where where the problem comes from is not in the you know, the goal setting and the, you know, wanting to improve and the actively working to improve our health and, and, um, and ourselves. But it's in the part where that 
allows us to criticize or undervalue where we are now. That part of, I have to do this because I'm not good enough, or I have to do this because this thing, this thing isn't, you know, I, this, I don't like this about me or this thing's too whatever. Like where we start to turn that language on ourselves and put down where we are now, whereas we can absolutely continue to seek to improve ourselves while still appreciating where we are now and loving where we are now and loving everything about ourselves, even though we want to continue on this health journey. And that's a really, I don't think that's a default place for anybody. I think that's something that requires mindfulness and intent, right? It requires, I'm going to love who I am. I'm going to love what I look like. I'm going to love the place I'm in now. I'm going to appreciate this and I'm going to continue to move forward to do something even better and to get something even better and make, and, and, and be amazing. But in a way that doesn't, um, that doesn't undervalue ourselves now. Cause if we undervalue ourselves now, even when we hit those goals, chances are really good. We're going to undervalue ourselves then. Right. Yeah. I, I suppose I should have mentioned that. So like the way that, uh, the way that I viewed it is, um, I, I don't know if you've ever watched, uh, Elliot Hulse on YouTube or not, but have uh, not, but apparently I'm writing it down now. Yeah. So Elliot Hulse, uh, he's, he's sort of like a philosophy or philosopher slash inspirational and, um, inspirational philosophies, philosopher speaker. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember his title, but the point is, so he runs, uh, like a gym and, uh, strength camper, uh, and and he does or did lots of videos, uh, from viewer questions. And he always talked about, so he's, he did strongman and stuff like that. So he's a big guy. He's like a big muscular guy, but, uh, he's very, he's really, really intelligent. And the way that he explains things is sort of how I got started on, really understanding um where these wants come from because the thing is i i also thought of it like well i like where i am because when i was uh gaining weight i was like well why do i even want to do this like i like where i am am i am i just being one of those people that's just like trying to fix like quote unquote fix myself and i'm not supposed to be doing that and like but the thing is the way that he explained it and he sort of put it like it's not necessarily that you're trying to change who you are and it's not necessarily that I'm not happy with where I, where I am or where I was, but it was just that I felt that I wanted to build a stronger version of myself or how he would say it. He always says like, I'm just building a stronger version of myself and I'm just like building up off of something that was already good and just making it in something that I would like to see it be at just because I just have that want. And that's just what it was. It wasn't necessarily me like, discounting what I had done. If anything, you know, I obviously made the best of like my weight loss, having, you know, writing my book and everything. And like, I was, I was proud of myself. I was, but it's just like, I was moving on to the next step of what I wanted to to move on to. Oh, so one of the things that I think I'd like to talk about more is the, um, sort of the, the relationship with food and diet prior to you sort of changing your perspective and, and changing your goals. Because I think that it, well, scientific research backs up the fact that 
um, it's actually extremely common for people to swap one eating disorder for another. And so one of the things that happens in people who suffer obesity or binge eating disorder is they will, you know, transfer that and become, end up, you know, they'll trade in those eating disorders and end up anorexic. Right. I mean, I think within the paleo community, we see a lot of people who are orthorexic. So they're still, they're eating in a way that's supporting physical health, but they have a, a emotional, you know, dysfunction, a mental dysfunction yeah. when it comes to their relationship with food in this sort of obsessive, compulsive, um, and high anxiety approach to food. Um, and that I think we see w- with, um, a, probably a frequency that really needs to be addressed within the paleo community. I think that's something yeah. that we're seeing far too much of. And I know I totally agree. Um, so in the beginning, before I started the weight gaining, I had extremely exaggerated food fears stemming from the thought that I would gain a bunch of fat if I started eating these foods regularly again. And that was as simple as like a banana or apples or any sort of fruit high in sugar, any sort of sugar, anything, um, you know, if anything had like honey or maple syrup, like some of the recipes on my blog, I didn't even taste test. I took like one nibble, but didn't actually eat because I was afraid of it. And, uh, so that was a big shift, but that shift really, really helped me and helped me, uh, it, it helped me loosen sort of my vice grip on this thought that like, food is inherently going to make me fat, right? Because I, 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 I was sort of mentally ground down uh, as a kid about that. So that I guess that sort of embedded that. But when I started uh, bulking, my first thought was, okay, well, let's watch all this fat come on, right? That's all I could think about. And when I saw that I really didn't gain that much fat and there's uh, not necessarily you know, a direct correlation. And if it's good, good food, bad food, that's of course going to be different, but I was eating good food. And I promised myself when I started that, that I wasn't going to lose sight of, you know, the real food, uh, mantra that I had created. And I wasn't going to lose sight of proper eating and sustainable eating. I wasn't going to lose sight of it. And I promised myself that, and I didn't. And that is sort of what saved me in the, in the bulking process. Cause I was worried, well, if I forget about it, then I'm just going to go off on, on some random, eating binge and just start eating crap like crap again all over again and uh so that might have helped me that might have not but i sort of ended up just loosening my general feelings about food and broadened my spectrum a whole lot and if i eat something now that i if i had ate, eaten it then and would have felt guilty for weeks now it's just like you know it happened i don't feel bad about it i know i'm not going to get fat and i know that it's just food and that's okay and i'm going to be okay it's totally fine and Literally, I could eat anything now and feel fine about it and not have any sort of emotional connection whatsoever other than the fact that I enjoyed this food. Thank you, food, for being enjoyable to me, and I'm not going to worry about this. It's it's okay. It's done. I eat it. I ate it. It's fine. So for other, let's say, specifically young people who might find themselves identifying with this idea of dysmorphia or orthorexia where... You know, for a lot of people, like you you and I were talking in the car earlier about how you kind of had this awakening at the first Paleo FX and you met all these Paleo people and all the perceptions that you had about the perfection of what what people ate or what people, you know, should, and I'm using quotation marks, should be eating. Um, and then kind of seeing so many people was um, kind of uh, 
interesting for you in a way that up until that point you hadn't been exposed to, right? So for people who don't have the opportunity to go through that experience, who maybe did find paleos, as Sarah indicated, as this um, alternative to a different disorder that they may have had and and are now participating in um, a lifestyle that they're they're justifying negative behavior, i.e. disordered eating, with the um, excuse that it is real food, it's making them healthy, what, you right. know, whatever it yeah. may be. And if it's paleo, if it's, if it's paleo, right. it's good for you. If it's gluten-free, it's good for you. It's these buzzwords, right? Right. So for, for people who might be kind of saying in, in their brains right now, oh my goodness, maybe I, um, maybe I am also kind of being too obsessive about this and I yeah. need to kind of lo- loosen up and, um, try to, try to find a healthy balance. Where would you suggest they start or what can you maybe think about there? Well, if you think about any sort of mental disorder in general, and this isn't probably not with everything, but with a lot of mental disorders, including OCD, uh, one of the best ways to treat it and it doesn't, it, 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 there are other forms, but one of the best and sort of rigorous ways to treat it is through exposure. And that is to expose yourself to whatever it is that triggers these emotional feelings for whatever it might be. Right. And that's basically what I did is I fully exposed myself to the food by eating it again, by seeing it again, not only that cooking it for myself, it's happening. It's I've already, I've already turned the, the burner on it. The rice is done. Now I have to eat the rice. Okay. What am I going to do? I'm going to eat the rice. Okay. It's done. I don't have anything else to eat. I'm going to eat the rice. And, uh, you sort of, I, I, for me, you know, like I said, I sort of started a little bit slowly and I did like intermittent fasting style and then I just gave up on it. And I think that it's important that maybe people try not to cut corners like that because then they're never actually learning. Yeah, you're still using you know, excuses. You're st- okay. Exactly. You're yeah. using an excuse. You're using something to help filter it out and make you feel better about your choices. And for me, I just, that didn't help me. I only started feeling better about food is when I started eating the thing that I was trying so hard to work my way around. And, uh, it, it just, so the the anxiety was very high at first. Okay. And this is the point where people are going to want to give up is in the very, very beginning because the anxiety is extremely high. And all you can think about is all things that you, when you go to bed, that's all you're going to think about. And the point is once you get past that, because the the thing is we as humans are very good at dealing with stress, you know, anxiety is going to be high. It's going to go down over time. So once the anxiety starts to go down, you keep eating, you keep pushing, the anxiety continues to go down. Eventually, it's not even relevant anymore. You know, it just goes away. And of course, there are other ways to approach it, but this is what I did, yeah. and this is what happened for me. And it's not going to work for everybody, but it will work for some people. And I just, yeah, I feel like that's going to be an effective way to do it. Yeah, One I think that's. Way. I think it's a really good, well articulated point. I mean, I, I don't know if you've read the article that I wrote about, um, um disordered eating and encouraging people that if they're doing multiple paleo challenges a year, quotation marks, right? Like let's say you do a 21 day sugar detox and then you do a whole 30 and then you do, um, what was the other one that I did? The whole whole life challenge, right? And it's like, or there's people that just do like whole thirties back to back to back, like you did for two years. Like I, I encouraged people to ask themselves whether or not they had disordered eating yeah, because or if they feel like they really need or if they're using that basically as a mechanism for OCD behavior because it's allowing them to create these strict rules around yeah. what they should or shouldn't be eating rather than kind of as you very well articulated not going around the real problem which is like 
I have this vast amount of food choices and I'm going to make the best choices I can most often. And sometimes I'm going to make a different choice and that's okay. It doesn't make me a bad person. Even, you know, some people call it bad foods, good foods. I I heard you like use those terms. Like I try not even to use those terms because I don't want to associate like emotion, good, bad, whatever it is with those kind of foods, right? Like I'm making the best choice as often as I can. And sometimes I eat a gluten-free croissant for breakfast and that doesn't make me like any less of a a person. Like it's just a choice that I made and I'm going to move on and I'm going to eat more salad. I'm going to do whatever the next day to try to, you know, focus on making those healthy habits as often as I can. And I think that's really difficult. That's something Sarah and I have both talked about is that's, I find that so much harder than just like giving myself a strict set of rules. Like I'm going to eat only these foods in this proportion and this often. And then it's like, okay, you know, my disordered eating is like all the check boxes in yeah, my brain feel, are like comfortable. You that's know? the thing you feel it, but it's the comfort that creates the problem. Yeah. Right. And, and as soon as you become comfortable because your anxiety is low, right. And the, the, it, you know, your brain knows that your anxiety is low. So why in the world would your brain, be, would, would your brain want to allow you <laughs> to be like, well, your anxiety is low. Why are you, why are you doing this? Like chill, just keep it low. Like, keep it at a streamline. And so, uh, like I said, the anxiety goes down over time. So at this point, it's like, it seems like you never would, I, I, I felt like I would never get to another point. And honestly, I was concerned. You know what I mean? I was fully aware of what, of like, this is probably not okay that I'm afraid to eat a banana. This is probably not a good thing. So I was completely aware. I was aware of that fact. And so with that said, I thought, but I know, I know what's right for me, mm. right? I thought that. And uh, and at that moment, I felt, I think that probably I was being a little too harsh on myself. And I think that a lot of people are, are, are a little too harsh on themselves. And I'm exaggerating. And it's, <laughs> it's way too harsh on yourself. It's like way too much. And so when I, at this point, it's just very relaxed, you know, and I don't feel bad about what I eat. And it's like, I don't feel anxiety with food anymore at all. It's just the way that it feels now is it's food. And I know what choices that I want, I want to make on a daily basis. And I know what I think is going to be healthy for me. And I will make those choices, like you said, as often as I can. And if it ever changes in any possible direction, whether, however you feel about it, any direction, it it's a path that I had already taken. And there's no point in creating the stress and the anxiety in response to it. There's, it will do nothing at all. Mm-hmm. If anything, it'll just make the situation worse. So you might as well just move on with your life. Cause you're, you know, you already know what you're going to eat. That is going to be what you think is going to be good for you afterwards. So then just do it the next day, you know, mm-hmm. Sarah, you have thoughts. I know you have many thoughts. I have many thoughts. <laughs> you always have um, many thoughts. I do, I guess. Um, I guess, you know, maybe one of the things that we can sort of wrap up with is maybe some strategies or resources that we all really enjoy for um, for sort of keeping ourselves accountable, but also um, – keeping our general approach and our um, relationship with food really positive. Like what are either like some tips or some great, a great book or like what are the things that 
you know, for us really helps keep that mental health combined with physical health aspect really reined in. Okay. That is, that's a difficult question because, um, I feel like for everybody, they're going to have a different way. Mm. Which is why I thought if like the three of us sort of give our tips, like that would give somebody a diversity of like things to try. So for me, um, one of the things that I did was I just thought of it like my, I wouldn't say a coping mechanism, but something to make me feel good about the choices that I was making, uh, was that I'm, I am, and I, it, the words that you use need to be the right kind of words. So to me, it was like, I am nourishing my body to grow. I'm nourishing it to grow. I'm not eating too many carbs. I'm not carb loading too much. I'm not going to get puffy. I'm, I'm not getting fat. I'm nourishing my body to grow. That's what's happening. It's growing. Good job. I'm becoming a stronger version of myself and I'm happy with that. And I'm starting to feel less anxious about food. And the thing is you have to mentally reward yourself for the things that you're doing. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean like you need to just lose sight of everything, but I mean, just like mentally reward yourself. Like you're doing good. You know, like uh, I, I, every time buy new shoes, what yeah, buy new <laughs> shoes. Yeah. Buy new shoes. Yeah. No, of course. I totally agree. Yeah. Buy new <laughs> shoes. Maybe not for me. Maybe it's like buy some lifting shoes. Buy some new lifting shoes. That goes for you too though. Yeah. So, um, that's my shoe of choice. Uh, but no, yeah. So I have mentally rewarded myself when I knew that I was making progress and I mentally rewarded myself for being like, you know, Hey, you're, you're finally letting go of these food anxieties and this is really good and keep going. And, um, and it's very simple and it's, 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 it sounds like it wouldn't be enough, but that sort of kept me on track is I just needed the mental cues to keep me going as, as long as I was, if, if I was doing it physically, that's fine. Doing it physically is anyone can do that, but it's the mental cues that helped to keep me going. So like reminding myself that I was doing good and, um, at this, it, it just kind of to a certain point, once you get to that point, once you've done it for so long and the anxieties come down, like I said, it would before, it's just sort of it becomes natural. It just, everything kind of falls into place naturally. Like I, I didn't feel like this in the middle of this, you know, I, the way that I feel about food now, I didn't really feel like that then. It only came to me when I sort of reached a point where I kind of just looked in the mirror and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess I actually did what I said I wanted to do and I'm not afraid of food anymore. And cool. I'm going to go eat whatever the hell I want. Or I I can't say that poop. (laughs) (laughs) Eat whatever the heck you want. <laughs> Eat whatever the hey hey I want. Do I have to re say that? I think we're. I think, I think you should time. say it three times fast. <laughs> She's joking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that's. I I think definitely positive. Positive thoughts are always good for whatever anybody's trying to do in their life, right? Like, like you said, coming up with the words in and talking to yourself the way that you would talk to others, right? Like that's a, that's a concept that I think, um, is, is becoming more, um, popular in the communities that I follow that I think is really well. Like you wouldn't tell your best friend, wow, you look really ugly and fat in that. So when you look in the mirror, don't like say that to yourself, you know, like treat yourself the way that you would treat others. Um, and I think for me that, that concept of, um, positivity as, um, also branched out into who I choose to surround myself with. Right. So, um, 
it's very difficult. The, like most people probably have an influencer in their life, both like positive and negative. So it's important to figure out like who in your life might be po- like negatively influencing you and who might be positively influencing you that you could spend more time with them or call them when you're struggling or whatever it is. You know, for me, um, when I'm having emotional days and I really, you know, um, am emotionally wanting to eat or, you know, whatever it is. I try to come up with coping mechanisms that work for me, like snuggling with the boys or, you know, doing whatever, because it's kind of a recharge to my system other than kind of that, um, food addiction, immediate reaction that I've had of, you know, that, that disordered eating with food where I fill my, um, my, my void with food. Um, I think that also, you know, coming up with, um, having someone in your life that'll hold you accountable. Like you had, you had a coach that um, holds holds you accountable. Um, and I think for me, you know, when, when I am, um, choosing different paths, you know, I've gone through many different programs over the past five years, but specifically with AIP. Um, and then also when I did, um, macro counting earlier this year to help with my liver and my, uh, performance and, um, make sure that like my, um, uh, health was being, my health and hormones are being regulated. Um, you know, I, I had different accountability things for the first time. Um, Sarah, you were, you were my AAP accountability person as well as Matt. You know, I talked with, with, um, both of you guys pretty often about the struggles that I was having and advice and different things like that. And then when I started, um, the macro program, I started to be accountable with, um, an, an app, my fitness pal that I was using to track. And I had several friends that were also on my fitness pal and we would talk separately about like what were different foods that we could eat that were, you know, higher in protein or whatever it was, if we were trying to get our protein up. And I think really surrounding yourself with people who can influence you positively and then reducing the time that you might be spending with people who influence you negatively really contribute to your overall mental health and stability. And, you know, that even comes down to like the people that I follow on Instagram and stuff, you know, like I, I follow people who are athletes on there. I follow people who are, uh, body positive activists on there to really remind me, like, these are the things that, um, these are messages that are good for, for me to hear and see and be reinforced with. And I try to, to, to be that voice, but sometimes I like see things that other people post in media and I was like, these people are blowing it out of the water. I'm so into what they're putting out. <laughs> um, and so, you know, finding things that, that give you that, that feel is I think important. Yeah. I actually forgot to mention that, uh, he actually helped, he, he helped tremendously with the mental aspect of it because he made it seem to me, it was so daunting by myself, but he made it seem so much less of a monster you know what i mean he made it seem like everybody does this dude like it's 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 okay you're gonna be fine and it, he sort of was like i guess like you know he was sort of like my light through the darkness mm-hmm. because i had no idea what to expect that's what was the biggest scariest thing was you have no idea what to expect so yeah it's nice to have somebody that sort of reminds you it's you know this is okay yeah i think from an actual eating perspective and i'm sure sarah you will expand on this but the thing that i really centers me when i find myself like sugar is one of those like snowballs for me you know it'll be a birthday or it'll be something i'll have someone in town and i'll allow myself to make those choices and then like if i don't get myself in check really quickly after it will snowball into like and then this thing and then this thing and then this thing um and i find the thing that really allows me to get back on track is 
was like, I have broth for breakfast the next morning, and then I have a giant salad for lunch. And usually if I do that, just like those two meals allows me, whether it's mental or physical or both, to really reset my, my mind and f- frame it around, you know, how I'm choosing to nourish my body and heal my body. And right. um, more vegetables and broth are the two things that um, really help my body feel its best. And so I think, you know, my body feels the broth and feels the vegetables and they're like, yes, we remember this is good. This feels good. Like let's focus on, on this. And so those are the the foods that allow me to kind of, um, recenter and focus. Yeah. I feel like my biggest strategy for not just staying on track with my food, but just in terms of keeping my attitude towards food to be really positive is sleeping. Like it's, I mean, I think I've talked about this before, but sleep impacts your brain health so profoundly, which then impacts, right, hormone health, right? It's impacting things like cravings, appetite, um, but also just um, reward responses to, to everything, right? You just feel better. You, you get more out of everything that you do for yourself all day. Um, and it, when I'm getting enough sleep, like everything else feels easy and I just naturally feel better about myself. Um, and then I think the other, the other thing that I try to do is I try to look at myself through my husband's eyes and, um, you know, remember that, you know, he started dating me when I was, um, not as heavy as I got, but a lot heavier than I am now. Yeah. And um, and for him, I don't want to put expressions in into him, but um, you know what he sees in me is so much deeper than how I look. But he still loves how I look, and he would love how I looked no matter how I looked. Um, but when Why I are our husband so awesome. Hey, we are lucky, lucky, lucky women <laughs> is what it is. Um, but, but, you know, that trying to understand that he, his love of me is so complete and that I deserve that, right? Like that, that to me is one of these big, like, okay, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I know this is a rated G show, but one of the things that I can do to kind of reset my perspective on myself is to Josh is making hand motions. <laughs> is to hand motion with my husband. Um, is, no, is is to spend some quality growing up time, and um, and that is just a great like it, to me. It just it makes me feel um like I'm worth a lot, right? Like it just, it makes me feel good about myself. And, um, and so those are things that, um, that help really reset me. And then, um, being active, there's the, you know, it's not just about getting stronger and getting fitter or being able to do something that I couldn't do before, but just sweating, just having a time in the day where I'm just sweating profusely and it 
you know, like the thing I love about CrossFit is you can't think about other stuff while you're CrossFitting. Like you, you can only think about whatever you're doing at that moment. There's no worrying about anything else. And so that like complete clearing of the brain and that rush of endorphins is, I think something that, you know, I don't think of it as being, you know, directly tied to my food choices, but it is directly tied to my overall you know, feeling of self-worth. So those, those are things that in my life I have found, like it's, it's really, it's not the food stuff. It's the lifestyle stuff that ends up impacting my relationship with food, how, uh, how appropriately my body is responding to, or my brain is responding in terms of appetite. Like, do I actually feel full after eating a perfectly adequate portion size? Um, am I enjoying my food? Am I craving things? Am I feeling compelled? It's um, compulsion to eat is something that comes back really quickly to me as soon as I'm stressed or not getting enough sleep. And so, um, and so, you know, it's the lifestyle things for me that help the food things fall into place. And it's not just the choice of food. It's it's how I think about food or more importantly, how I don't think about food, right? It's the, if I'm getting enough sleep and I made it to CrossFit in the morning and, you know, my stress level is well managed, I'm not thinking about food all day. I'm not thinking about food in between meals, but as soon as I'm not getting enough sleep, I'm thinking about my next meal when I eat and I might be thinking about my snack and I might be thinking about the food I wish I had, right? Like, and it's, it's the completely different story if I've actually if I'm actually taking care of myself from the lifestyle perspective. I think that um, that's a good summation of different tactics that will help hopefully a variety of people. So thanks for coming on tonight, Josh, and yes, for being absolutely. honest and brave and sharing with of everyone. Course, of Is course. there anything else that you want to cover or remind people maybe where they can find you and your books and if you have any upcoming events? Yeah, sure. So um, right now, I you can find me at slimpalette.com, and my cookbook is on my website or on Amazon under the Slim Palette Paleo Cookbook. And if you're interested in uh, gaining weight, which you know, this seems like a much less covered topic, but yeah. if you are looking into gaining weight uh, or losing weight, if you want to look at my book, but <laughs> <laughs> but if you're looking into gaining weight, since that's the subject right now, um, I. I just put the post up, so it's still on the home. But if you can't find it, then you can just Google search, like, Slim Palette. We'll put a link in the show notes. Oh, you will? Okay, yeah. So then just click the link because uh, I I talk a lot about – I I get a little bit more in-depth about the whole process behind what had happened. And, uh, yeah, maybe that will help people get some insight or get some inspiration to figure it out and maybe go to some people or or figure out how they want to approach that. Uh, But, yeah, and and also – for the Revolution Food movie, since we mentioned that, mm-hmm. uh, he's doing a an event at uh, uh, Primal Pasture or Primal Pastures, um, another screening there, I believe, on the tenth of this month. So that'll be, I think, the day after this airs. So for anybody yeah. that's in the San Diego area, is that where it is? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, do check that out. I think there's a screening at a farm. Yeah, um, on, yeah you can. That find was featured it. in the film, so that'll be really cool. Yeah. Um, and then also, do you have an events tab on your uh, blog if you end up doing future talks and signings? Right and now, I don't have any scheduled because I'm sort of uh, obligated with I'm doing a signing actually at the at the one on the tenth. So yeah, 
because I have to fly out, it's just kind of like a decompression thing. I just am going to focus on that at yeah. the moment. But yeah, so that's pretty much everything with me. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah. And um, again, if you're looking for more of Josh, you can find him on slimpalette.com and we'll make sure to put uh, links in the show notes. And Sarah, don't tell people that you'll see them next week. Done. <laughs> uh, can I say thanks for listening? Excellent choice. We'll be back next week, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I'm laughing because the cat. I'm not uh, laughing at oh. you. <laughs> I thought you were, I, th- I couldn't tell if you were like, I couldn't tell if you were like. I was like waiting for you to pause and call Danny out. Um, I didn't even hear it. Um, before, before he came over to the house, I was trying to explain the bangles to him. And <laughs> he totally did not get it until he was like in the house witnessing their oh, insanity. No. It was actually really scary because I thought that there was like a baby crying in the other room. Like, do you have a baby? And she's like, no. I'm like, oh God, there's a demon baby. <laughs> It's really, it's scary. It's a scary noise. It's not scary. It's, it's just a cat. I'm probably not going to sleep tonight because I don't have like images in my head. Do you have cats, Josh? Do you have cats that just aren't that vocal? Or do you no, have like cats as a new cat? I try not to have animals that he make was, me afraid it, for my life. He was shocked that the cats like don't try to kill us. Um, he, I guess he had a bad experience with a grandma's cat. Multiple. Um, and I'm imagining that grandma's cat probably had a lot of quiet in her house. And then maybe a young boy... Um, that that grandma's cat was not a fan is kind of the all i did was i just tried to pet its belly okay <laughs> it was chilling on I its think, back i think all cat owners right now understand this image ha- having having been a nine-year-old <laughs> and seeing an animal with fur laying on its back the other animals with fur laying on their back like to have their belly rubbed so why wouldn't this one not grandma's cat not that one well, not, not not a lot of cats frankly so so but he like witnessed um, one of the boys pick up Gray and like they don't pick up the cats gently. They they pick oh, no. them up by like some limb and carry them across the room and then hold them down to pet them. And the cats are just like they don't even complain about it anymore at this point. They're like, this is my life. This if I expect to be fed, this is my life. And he's like looking at me. He's like, the cat's not going to attack them. The cat's not freaking out. And I'm like, no, they're family pets. I was like, like look, look out for the life of your child, please. <laughs> anyway, so I was expecting you to freak out when Danny started um, yeah. crying because I know how you should feel I re-explain about that. that part or we <laughs> we can put this as a blooper and, and rewind. Sure. <laughs> I don't remember where I was. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to just keep going. Yeah, we can. We'll just, like, this part will be kind of put at the end of the blooper. Like, you oh, finished no, your no, segment. It was no, fine. No, I just was, like, no. laughing, and I could see it in your face that, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, had no idea. Anyway. Uh, anyway, Sarah, it's on you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Cut point. <laughs> had to throw a ball at the cat. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's really bad. I can't shut them out of the basement. I had really bad food fears, and they were stemming from the fear of, you know, becoming overweight. And is, is it really I'm going to go lock them up. Okay. This one's... Sarah, can you, you can hear them, right? Uh, 
Um, while I can hear some kind of shuffling, it's not like obvious that it's cats. It okay. could be movers. Yeah, we'll be okay. Nobody. All right. Be... So the cat behind us is eating a plastic bag, and the cat next to us eating it. is trying to catch bugs on the outside of the of the sliding glass door, <laughs> because he is the most intelligent cat there ever was. Do do you understand the situation? I do. I do okay. understand the situation. All right. So I'm like uh, trying to trying to make eye contact with Josh. I'm like genuinely I'm trying. trying to... I, I'm not even noticing, and then she's looking at me with like this cheeky <laughs> smile on her face. Like, how am I supposed to? Oh my gosh. Why do I have all these cats? Okay. Okay, we can do this. You okay? If you can't hear them, I'm gonna ignore them, Sarah. Yeah, don't even look. Kay. Just, just don't look. Don't look at my eyes. Either, I won't. I'm just gonna look down out. at my feet. Okay, good. All right, that works. So, look at that. You didn't say it. Is that the first time in like <laughs> three years? Thanksy. Well, no. I- Sure, I skipped at least once in the last few years. <laughs> she always says, she we'll see you next making... week. And then as soon as it's over, she's like, I said it again. <laughs> she's too busy making hand motions with her husband. <laughs> That's the problem. You're distracted over there. Oh, all right. <laughs> you are blushing. I can hear it. A little bit. Yeah. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.